All right, take your Bibles, if you would, and open to Romans chapter 8. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned how this section of Scripture is dealing with our sanctification. It is that process that God is using to to transform us into the likeness of His Son. Uh, You might say it, it is our spiritual development. Well, as you know, our sanctification revolves around two particular entities, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Word of God, which we also know as the sword of the Spirit, is the one offensive weapon that we see in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul discusses what we know as the armor of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, we're told that the Word of God is living and it's active, right? Sharper than any double-edged sword. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we're told that God's Word trains us in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, all that being said, the Word of God is what the Spirit of God uses in that transformative process that we call sanctification. Now, here in chapter 8 in Romans, Paul's focus is not on the Word of God, it is on the Spirit of God. As I've stated in a previous sermon, Paul actually mentioned the Holy Spirit 19 times in this one chapter. Uh, If you never study your Bible, let me just say, that's a lot. 19 times he mentions the Spirit of God in one chapter. And therefore, I hope you understand that you and I cannot be sanctified, or if you will, made holy, without the working of God's Spirit in our lives. Now, when thinking about the Spirit of God, He's probably um, less understood than, say, God the Father or God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We don't seem to comprehend um, how much God's Holy Spirit has done and is still doing in the life of the believer. And unfortunately, uh, to the fault of many pastors, it is sadly because they refuse to sit down, open their Bibles, and begin to actually teach about it. But the working of God's Spirit in our lives is so important, as we'll see this morning in verse 9, that he actually indwells every single believer in Christ. He lives inside every one of us who have been born again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, you guys may know this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Well, not only does God's Spirit uh, presently indwell every believer, we also know from Scripture that He also seals every believer. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The Spirit of God is a seal that, and I love this word, that guarantees our eternal inheritance. He is the deposit, he says, sealing us, guaranteeing our inheritance. Of course, we all have heard of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We've all heard of those, I hope. When we are walking in the Spirit, as it says there in Galatians 5, when we are filled with the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians 5.18, 
These are when he, he produces those things in us. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience. When we're walking in the Spirit, he produces those things in us. It is never called our fruit. I hope you understand that. Even though it comes out of you and me, it's not about us. It is the fruit, it is the evidence of the Spirit of God. It is what He does in and through us. We know God's Spirit is also called the Comforter. He's also called the Counselor or maybe even the Helper as we see in the Gospels. That's actually the Greek word parakletos, which simply means he comes alongside of us. He comes alongside of us. Right here in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says the Spirit of God is the one who intercedes for us or on our behalf. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is a verse that unfortunately has been taken out of context by many of our charismatic friends. But it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my, anybody know? Witnesses. The Spirit of God, he says, this is, of course, right there at Pentecost, the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will be my witnesses for Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7, as well as in verse 11, the Spirit of God is the giver of spiritual gifts, of all spiritual gifts. Very same chapter, verse 13, we were all baptized or placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, 27, the Holy Spirit, in that context, he is called the anointing, but it says that he is the one who teaches us. Matter of fact, John says the same thing in his gospel in chapter 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things. And then, of course, lastly, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as I mentioned earlier, it's the Spirit of God that transforms us. It's the Spirit of God that sanctifies us. Paul says we are being, that's a process, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, he says. Folks, there's a lot of things there, I understand, but this is not an exhaustive list, but it is simply uh, an example, it is a sample, if you will, of the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. Now, uh, uh, I have to say this, uh, there also are some things that he does not do. And this is important in the day and age that we live in. There are things the Holy Spirit does not do. And that is to cause us to laugh uncontrollably. He does not make us fall backwards. He does not make believers flop on the floor like a fish out of water. He does not cause us to speak or babble or gibberish. Or cause gold fillings to just appear in our teeth. Or, or cause people to levitate in the middle of a church service. And yes, there are more that we can add to all this, by the way, but I won't get into it. But folks, these kinds of things are nothing but a mockery of the Holy Spirit of God himself. As you and I know, the final authority that we have is the word of God. You will not find any of these things in Scripture, but yet that is what's typically given to us if you happen to, hopefully not, you don't do this, but you watch people on TV. A lot of times this is what 
you will see. But I will actually add one more to this. He is not behind, the Spirit of God is not behind every whim of of so-called evangelicalism as a move of the Spirit. Okay? People need to stop tagging the name of the Spirit of God onto every one of their so-called experiences. I'm not saying God doesn't work in the lives of people. That would be ridiculous. But what we see in our culture today, they just all of a sudden tag it. Oh, it's a move of the Spirit. But yet so many things are bizarre and unbiblical. And yet we just tag the name of God's Holy Spirit onto it. And that is absolutely wrong. Well, back in Romans chapter 8, what we have seen so far in our study, starting in verse 2, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of life. He is the Spirit that gives life. Hopefully you know this verse by now in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He gives us new birth, and he also gives us new life. Folks, only the Spirit of God can give spiritual life to a spiritually dead person. Person. And every one of us at one time were spiritually dead. Verse 4 here in Romans chapter 8, he tells us that by living according to the Spirit, you might say that you are empowered by the Spirit, the righteous requirements of the law, he says, can be fully met in us. Think about that for a second. He says we can meet the requirements of God's moral law by living, by walking in and through the power of God's Spirit. Now, beginning in verse 9 this morning, we're actually going to be leaving a section, actually verses 6 through 8, where Paul speaks of those who do not live, who do not have the Holy Spirit, do not live according to the Spirit. And we know these, of course, were the unbelievers. Paul says in those verses, verses 6 through 8, these people have a sinful mind. He says they are hostile towards God. He says they are controlled by their sinful nature. He says they do not submit to God's law, and therefore, he says, they cannot. Not they do not, they cannot, he says, please God. But now this morning, as we enter into verse 9, he's going to revert back, if you will, to speak about the believer in whom the Holy Spirit not only dwells, but works. He works in and through you and me. Once again, there's no way we can live this life that God has called us to live without the Spirit of God. So read with me, if you will, verses 9 through 11, chapter 8. He says, you, however, notice how he reverts back to the believer, you, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead to sin, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living inside you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, once again, who lives in you. So speaking here to the church in Rome, speaking to professing believers, right? They are the church in Rome. 
He begins verse 9 by saying, once again, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. In other words, in contrast to what I just got through speaking of in verses 6 through 8, you are very different than they are. These are unbelievers who are hostile toward God. They are enemies of God. They live by their sinful nature. You're very different, he says, than those people. Now, even though the believer in Christ, while on this earth, will not be perfect, none of us are going to be perfect on this earth. We will struggle, and sometimes we do struggle. We battle our flesh, right? Paul spoke about that in, personally in Romans chapter 7. Okay? That being said, we will not, as he says here, be controlled by our sinful nature. Okay? He talks about the non-believer. They are controlled. Their lives are dictated by their sinful nature in the previous verses. Here he says, we are, we are not controlled by the sinful nature. Now, if you don't have the word controlled there, you might have a translation that simply says, you are not in the flesh. Okay, That is a verb in the Greek. Okay. It is what's called a present indicative in the Greek. It, it, we all know a verb is an action, right? We all remember those way back in the old high school days. A verb is an action. The present tense is simply saying that action is ongoing. That action is continual, okay? An indicative is just simply a statement of fact, okay? It's just simply a statement of fact. Paul is saying with certainty, with factually, that the believer is not controlled, he does not have a lifestyle that lives in the perpetual state of sin. Okay? Do we understand that? The believer in Christ does not have a lifestyle that is perpetually in the state of sin. Now, I brought up this point, if you remember this, I had a little soapbox sitting <laughs> right here a few weeks ago, um, because there are some people who teach that there are Christians whose lives never change. Somehow they're born again. Somehow we can call them new creations in Christ, but yet they never become that. Um, they're no different, they say, than, than any God-fearing Christian. They're both heaven-bound, but one's life never changes. He, he lives his life just like he did before he was a Christian. Uh, I don't believe that. Scripture doesn't teach that, but I would say this. Like I said last time, we call that baloney. I call that the big theological word. That's baloney. As Paul says here, the Christian does not have a lifestyle that is perpetually in the state of sin. Even though, yes, we do sin. We do occasionally sin. And I hope it's less and less for every single one of us. But there's no such thing as an unchanged Christian. Okay? God does not justify those that he does not sanctify. We're not all on the same timing. We grow at maybe different areas of life, but God just doesn't justify you and say, well, the best of luck to you, you're on your own. He never does that. It is life-changing. It is transforming to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that process of sanctification will begin. As I mentioned earlier, who is it? Who is it who is involved in our sanctification? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. Still in verse 9, different from the unbeliever who is controlled by their sinful nature, 
Paul now says we are controlled by the Spirit. We are controlled by the Spirit of God. Okay? We now have within us, folks, the capacity to live for God and therefore to honor God. You know that? You know, you know more than anybody that you're an imperfect person, so am I. But we have the ability through God's Spirit to live a godly, faithful lifestyle that honors God. That hopefully people can say, man, I want what that guy has. He's so different. Especially, he's so different than he used to be. As Paul said in verses 6 through 8, that is impossible for the unbeliever who does not even have the Holy Spirit. Okay? And thus he is bound to the direction of his sinful nature. We, on the other hand, being redeemed, being forgiven, being born again, we are not the same, right? Because we have this new birth, because we have this new life by the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5 mentioned it earlier, we are, as many of you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? We are new creations in Christ. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. And this is only because we are controlled by the Spirit of God. As I said earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In the New Living Translation, it just says, the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Just another way of saying that. Folks, I cannot begin to tell you how essential it is that the Spirit of God is in our Christian life. He's not just there. He's working and doing a magnificent, tremendous work in changing who you and I used to be. For some of us, you guys know my testimony, but it's, 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 it's like a wow, what God can do in your life and how he changes us. And he does that, I mentioned, through his word, and he does it through the power of his Holy Spirit. But notice back, still in verse 9, Paul throws in a little caveat here. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, this isn't necessarily some kind of challenge to the church. He's just simply stating a fact. Since only the Holy Spirit of God actually um, gives spiritual life, a person cannot be related to Christ apart from possessing God's Spirit. Okay? Therefore, this proclamation also makes it clear that the indwelling presence of God's Spirit is the identifying mark of the believer in Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 says, Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that he gave us. In other words, we now have this desire, we now have this ability to live this life that God wills for us because of the Spirit of God that he has given to us. Folks, you cannot separate spiritual transformation from the Spirit of God. You cannot do that. 
Now, staying with the same thought, Paul finishes verse 9 by saying the opposite is true as well. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Folks, there's no such thing as a Christian who does not have or possess the indwelling Holy Spirit. Well, Darren, how, how do we know that? How, how do we know what's going on here? Well, it's the very same principle that we've been talking about. Transformation. Sanctification. Okay? If there is none, if, there's, if there is none, there is no spirit. There is no Christian. I've seen so many times in my life, and I'm sure some of you here, millions of people profess to know Christ. Because I went to Bible study one time or because uh, I went to church when I was a little kid. My mom took me there. Somehow I'm, I'm just, I'm a Christian. There's never been any fruit. There's never been any change. You couldn't pick them up in a part of a hundred you know, heathenistic people if you tried. But it's because they're not believers. They don't have the Spirit of God. They can't live that life that God expects us to live. And of course, this simply brings us back to the evidence I, just, I like to call it the evidence of the Spirit. As I said earlier from Galatians 5, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you. It's not the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God who is working in us. Okay. Now, personally, I would just add to that and say this in a very simple way. If you don't love God, and by the way, the Bible says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my law, keep my commands, sure. If you don't love God, if you don't love his word, if you don't love the church, to use Paul's words, you don't have the spirit, you do not belong to Christ. This is why I tell people sometimes, don't, um, don't leave your friends and your family hanging just because they say they're Christians and there's never been anything going on in their life. You know what? Don't just say, well, they say they're Christians. You know what? Share Christ with them. Continually share Christ with them. If there's no fruit ever in their life in any which way, the Spirit of God is doing nothing in their life, if that was the case, they need Jesus. Share with them. Don't treat them as a believer. Well, they said they are. But yet you've known them for 15 years, and there's never been anything in their life that even reveals any evidence at all that they're a believer. Share Jesus with them. Keep going after them. If your life doesn't look like a Christian, it probably isn't. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, you guys know this, right? He says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Well, why did he say that? Why would Paul say that to the church, right? This is the church in Corinth. Well, Corinth was a pretty pathetic place, had a lot of problems going on morally. Some of them wanted to bring this stuff right on into the church. And so Paul, if I may paraphrase, is kind of like, um... Yeah, you don't really look like a Christian. You're not really acting like a Christian. You don't do things that Christians do. Matter of fact, you look just like you did before you so-called came to Christ. So what does he tell them? He says, you might want to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. He says, don't you know that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, he says, you fail the test. Sometimes people need to examine themselves. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be confronted with that either. But I hope that if we confront somebody with that, it's because we love them and we want, we want them to be saved. 
Nobody wants to stand before God, say, Lord, Lord, and him say, I never knew you. It's a, it's a warning that people need to heed. All right, let's move forward here into verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, as Paul begins this verse, um, the word if there, it says if Christ is in you, uh, this can also be translated, the Greek word can also be translated as since, okay? The word if is obviously a subjective possibility, right? We all know what that means, if, right? The word since is used when something is assumed to be true. Okay, and I think when you look at the rest of this verse, I would go with the latter. Personally, I would use the word since. You can also use the word because. Because or since Christ is in you. Okay, I would phrase it that way. But then it goes on and says, your body is dead because of sin. Now, because of sin, which he just, I just uh, stated, he says our bodies are dead. Our bodies are going to die. This might not be a shocker to those of us who are getting older, but our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are deteriorating. Okay? Right now, because of sin, you guessed it, we're literally dying. We are dying. I thought back to, uh, to Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 19. God here is dealing with the consequences of sin. Remember with Adam and Eve. He's dealing with the consequences of that sin. But at this point, he's talking to Adam, and he says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until what? You return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That was not going to happen until sin came along. But now it is, guess what? You're going to die. You're going to go right back to the ground from which you came. And because of his sin, folks, as you know, all of us will die, right? Because of the sin of Adam, we're all born with that sin nature. We're all going to physically die. We live in a body of death. Matter of fact, those are the exact words that, that Paul used right here in Romans 7, 24. Remember this? When Paul said he was talking about himself, his own struggle, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He said that because he was struggling with sin. Paul was talking about, in that context, he was talking about his failure to obey God's moral law. He could not stare at the moral law of God in its perfect holiness, its moral perfection, and not come to that conclusion about himself. What, I'm a mess. What a wretched man that I am. It was impossible for him, just like it is for you and me, to look at the law of God, the very principles that are based on his nature, without seeing that, that we are utterly sinful, that we are, that we are lost with no hope in and of ourselves. What a wretched man I am. That's why he calls himself, he says, this body of death. The sinful nature within us burdens us, folks. I'm sure we all know this. Burdens us 
with our own sin, which of course, as you know, is what leads to death. It led to death physically and it leads to death spiritually. But here is the good news. As you'll notice, there is some good news there in verse 10. He says, since Christ is in you, he says, yes, your body's going to die, but what? Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, this is, a, this is one of those verses, for those of you who have studied uh, over the years, um, this is one of those verses that uh, interpreters, translators have their differences on when it comes to looking at uh, Scripture. Uh, basically, the debate, the argument, if you will, is, is the word spirit capitalized. Some translations have it, some don't. Um, is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about our spirit? You know, and there are great people, uh, much smarter than myself, on either side of that. Um, I believe, personally, he's talking about our spirit, okay? Because he's doing this with the contrast of our bodies in the very same verse, okay? Yes, our body is dead, but our spirit is alive, okay? And he says, our spirit is alive, he says, because of righteousness. Do you see that? You can also phrase that if you want, because you have been made right with God. Our spirit's alive because of righteousness or because you have been made right with God. Now, this, this brought me back uh, to Romans 3 when we went through that about 14 years ago. Okay, just kidding, not quite that long. But you might remember that where God imparted his righteousness to us. If you, you can turn back there if you want. In Romans chapter 3, In uh, verses 21 and 22, he says, But now a righteousness from God, that's a key word, from God, it's apart from the law, right? It has nothing to do with the law. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Now listen to what he says. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So for everyone, he says, who believes, who places their faith in Christ, that righteousness from God is given to them. Through our belief, through our faith in Christ, thus being born again, God has declared you and me righteous by giving us his righteousness. Back in chapter 1, right here in Romans, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Okay, not from the law, because remember, he was contrasting those two things. Not from the law, but through faith. So as Paul says here, it is a righteousness that came from God through our faith. Folks, this is that, that amazing substitution. God took our sin and gave us his righteousness. As long as you've been a Christian, that, man, that's just nuts. God took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Wow, wow. So even though our body is dying, it is literally a body of death because of sin, he says, yet our spirit, separate from our body, is alive 
and well. Number one, and mostly contextually, because of that imputed righteousness that God has given to us. If you want to speak of practically, practical righteousness, it is because of God's Holy Spirit. That is why. And lastly, in verse 11 this morning, he says this. He says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Once again, uh, if it matters to you, the word if here can also be translated since, as it is definitely presumed to be true. So you would maybe use the word since. But to get into the verse, what a great reminder and, and what a great promise. Twice the verse says, the Spirit who lives in us. Did you catch that? He says that twice in one verse. The Spirit who lives in us. Well, what about that spirit. Well, Paul says he is the same Holy Spirit, there's only one, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And because of that connection being the same spirit that lives in you and me, he then says he will also raise to life our mortal bodies. Isn't that great? Our bodies will die, right? We know that from many scriptures, but certainly verse 10, we just got through going through it. But one day, at the second coming, well, and I'm assuming, let's just assume the rapture doesn't take place. We're just going to assume that right now. But, but one day at the second coming of Christ, those physical bodies will rise glorified. Dave kind of spoke on that a little bit when we were going through the end of, of Daniel. And those bodies will come together with our spirit, which has already been with the Lord, right? To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. One day those two will come together, our body will be glorified. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, you can turn back there if you want, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, is known as the resurrection chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He says, but Christ, starting in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christ is just the beginning. He's the first fruits. He's just the beginning. Verse 21, for death came through a man, that's Adam. The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. So what a, what a great reminder as we, we close this morning anyway. The spirit we know caused us to be born again. Uh, Titus 3.5 uses that word rebirth. We know that he gives us new life even today. Romans 6, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. And of course, one day he will raise our dead bodies, to be with our eternal spirit, to be with him forever. Right here in chapter 6, verse 5, it says we are united with him in his resurrection. You might remember our study there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 
42, our bodies will be raised imperishable. So just kind of a great reminder there at the end, just yet another thing the Spirit of God does in our lives. What He has done in our past, what He continues to do in our present, and what He will do in our future. The Spirit of God continues to work in each and every believer in Christ, transforming us, and certainly just using a generic word, blessing us beyond, I think, what, what we recognize. So learning through the Scriptures today, the work of the Holy Spirit sure beats the nonsense that we hear on TV. Stuff we see on TV really has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. It's a mockery, but the great news is we can always go back to the one authority. That authority ain't me. That authority is the Word of God and what He does in our lives. And this is Paul's goal here in Romans chapter 8 to continue to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, which is why we typically talk about sanctification because that is what He's doing to us. He is sanctifying us. He is setting us apart. He is making us holy. We can live our lives closer and be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll continue this next time. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for our time this morning. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Uh, I thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, I, I don't personally, uh, I don't want to rely on uh, somebody's theological construct or, or some uh, denomination uh, and what they believe or what they stand for. I just want to set all that aside and just open up the Bible and say, let's study the word and see what it says. We thank you for what you give us. We thank you, Lord, that you show us uh, and give us clarity about yourself, about Christ, and, and certainly about your Holy Spirit as well. You show us who you are, and at the same time, you show us who you're not. And Lord, we live in a time today when there are hucksters uh, who, who, who love to falsify things, and in my opinion, simply mock the Spirit of God and acting like he's just some erratic power source as you plugged into an outlet or something. Father, He is the Spirit of Almighty God. He comes alongside of us. He helps us. And Lord, we thank You for giving Him to us. We thank You for Your Word as well, that He can use Your Word in our lives and continue to work with us, changing us, transforming us. Because we will need that. We continue to need it every day. And so Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, which is a command to always be filled, to be be filled with the Spirit of God, Lord, that we can live that life to honor you, to bring glory to you personally and also show the world who Jesus Christ is, that through him lives are changed. And we give you thanks, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.